Well, good morning, everyone. How are we today? Good? Hey, if you're back, I want to say welcome back to you. If you're here for the very first time, I want to welcome you. So glad uh, that you're here with us. Whether you're invited by a friend or you're checking us out, uh, I want to say hello to you. And if you're watching online, I want to say welcome to you as well. My name is Andy, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, And we are in week two of a series where we are looking at some things to let go of and let God get rid of in our lives. And we're able to let go of these things because of what we're about to celebrate here in a few weeks with Easter. That when Jesus came here, he came here as God on earth. He took uh, the form of a human being, but he was God here on earth. And, and he went around telling people what it takes uh, to get into the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And then he did something that shocked the entire world. He willingly died on a cross. But, but that is not what's so shocking. That, in fact, the truth is there were thousands and thousands of people back then who died that way, who were crucified on a cross. That's not why we celebrate Easter. The fact is what happened three days later is why we celebrate Easter Sunday. The thing is, three days later, Jesus came back from the dead. He came back to life and he spent 40 more days with people. And then in front of a crowd of people, he ascended into heaven and he never ever died again. And that is why we celebrate Easter. Jesus came to save us from sin. And then he also came to save us to a life worth living here on earth. Not because he died, but because he came back from the dead and he never died again. So we can confidently place our our faith and our trust in him, knowing that he's the only person who's ever done that. And this is the only God who was ever willing to do something like this for people that he loved. So that's what we're spending a few weeks on before we get in to celebrating the fact that Jesus came back from the dead. We're looking in and talking about some things in our lives that that we let determine our standing with God and our standing with other people and our position with ourselves. But the problem with these things that we're talking about over these three weeks is that they can actually wind up hurting our relationship with God, hurting our relationship with other people and even ourselves. So when Jesus came back from the dead, he not only destroyed sin, but he also killed these things and he set us free to destroy these things in our lives as well. Check out what Romans 8.13 says. This is like the, the, the scripture for the whole series. Here's what it says. It says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So that's what we're doing. We've been set free by Jesus to put to death, gang, listen, things that just don't work, things that just aren't working out, things that don't find worth like the world thinks that they do. Last week, Chad opened up this series with one of the most important things that we should, should, we should understand, that we need to kill religion. Jesus came to kill religion because the danger of religion is this. There is a danger in religious activity that can try and take the place of a relationship we are supposed to have with Jesus Christ. That message is really the key to this whole series. So if you're here and you missed last week's message, I really encourage you to go online, listen to that. You can watch it on our website. You can listen to it through iTunes, get it on our app. There's all kinds of different ways you can get it. Really encourage you to tune in on that message because that really is the key to this whole series uh, of why Jesus came and what he did. Uh, And today we're gonna continue and we're gonna look at the next thing that we need to destroy in our lives and it's pride. 
We have got to kill pride in our lives, everybody. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those and get your notes out there if you want to take notes and open your Bibles up to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs 8, that's where we're going to start. And we're going to be jumping around a little bit today, uh, but we're going to start there. And as you're opening up to Proverbs 8, um, I want to just start out with something on the word pride that maybe some of us are thinking, because the word pride is kind of a very heavily used term uh, in our society. And so we wonder maybe, maybe there are ways that we use pride. Are they all bad, right? Like, so if I say, hey, listen, I'm proud of my kids. Is that bad, Andy, right? Well, I don't think it's that bad. Or if I say, hey, listen, I take pride in what my church is doing, you know, for God. I take pride in my school. That, that's a different kind of pride. There is, however, a pride. The pride that we're talking about today is a dangerous pride. There is a dangerous kind of pride that exists. And I'm going to tell you guys, God has such a distaste for it. But he is so opposed to it that this is how he actually reacts to it here in Proverbs chapter 8. Listen to what he says here in verse 13. It says, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Back up with me if you're on your Bibles. Just back up one page or so to Proverbs 6. Let's see what else he says here in Proverbs 6, verse 16 to help us understand. Here's what it says. It says, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to him. And he starts that whole list with this thing that says haughty eyes. Now, the Hebrew word for this word haughty, it actually is proud. That's the word. But if you look up haughty in our language, here's what it means. It means arrogantly superior. This right here is the pride we got to face. This is the pride that we got to get rid of. Because the bottom line today, it'll stick with you for the rest of your life, I believe, because it's so strong. Here's the bottom line today. God hates pride. If you're taking notes, I'd write that down. God hates pride. He hates it. Now, that is a strong word. That is a word that we do not use in the tool house. I'm gonna tell you right now, Henry, my son, drops a hammer on that word. The other day, a friend of ours was over and she brought her son uh, to play with Henry, uh, like a little play date, and, and we're really close families, so we were sitting around the table talking. Uh, and so we were just, I don't know what we were talking about, but she ended up saying, oh, I hate when that happens. And I mean, like a nanosecond, you see Henry pop over and he goes, we don't say hate. And then he goes, Maybe what if you say you don't like it that much? That's what he said to her to say, and I just thought that was great. So, you know, if you ever come over, just keep that word in your glove box, okay? He ain't having it. He ain't, he ain't, he'll bring heat on you if you say that word in our house, okay? But God says, I hate pride and arrogance. And he wants us to understand how serious it is. So I wanna ask you, I just wanna ask you, what do you hate? Like, what, what are some things that you would say that you hate? I'll tell you, I'll tell you something. I hate the Steelers. There you go. I said it. Deal with it. I hate them. I hate them. Like I, you know, honestly, I honestly, I can't stand Facebook. Like I love you people, but I'm not that interested in your lives. Okay. Like I don't get it. I don't understand it. I just don't like it. Okay. Now, now listen, those are not very serious things, right? Like those are, those are not serious, but, but gang, listen, we, we do have a serious list, don't we? Like, I, I honestly really do. I, I hate child abuse. I hate racism. I, I hate animal neglect. There are, there are things that we hate. So what do you hate? And I really want to, to set this up for us to sink in because whatever it is, I want you to understand this, whatever it is that you and I hate, it pales in comparison to how much God hates pride. Just think about that for a second. 
God hates it. That He has a holy hatred for pride. And you can look in the Bible and f- try to find a whole big list of things that God says he hates. You're not going to find a really big list. But this is one of the things that he hates. So here's the question. Why does he hate it? I mean, why is pride on that list of things that God hates? Now, there are way more reasons I have time to give. But here's what I want to do. I want to lay out for us this morning a few dangers of, of pride, and, and, and I want to see, maybe that'll lead us to understand why God really doesn't like it that much. So we're going to do three dangers of pride. So if you're taking notes, here's the number one danger, and it's this, pride is sneaky. Do you know you could be prideful and not even know it? Did you know that? I'm learning that a lot about my life. I've been a pastor now for 10 years, which I can't believe that. Just 10 years, February, I've been a pastor for that long. Um, and I'm telling you, I have, I have seen and dealt with, and you have asked me to come into your lives for all kinds of problems. And I've been humbled by that, grateful to, to be a part of that, where you've asked you know, what I think about it, or just asked me to find some things in God's word about it. All kinds of problems that you guys have asked me about. Anger, lust, right? Like marital problems, spiritual motivation problems, all kinds. But I have never had anyone come into my office looking for help with their pride problem. Not one time. It's never happened. Isn't that crazy? No one's ever. Now, so it's either we don't think that we have it or, or we just don't think it's that big of a problem. So now, now I, I want to c- come with me on this because even after we just talked about what pride is, right? Having this arrogance, having this like boast of whatever it is and, and looking at this word haughty, like most of us thought, even when we looked at what Proverbs said, what did most of us do? Most of us went, well, I don't have pride like that. I mean, I'm not that pride. I don't have haughty eyes. I may have bloodshot eyes, right? Or I may have half open eyes because I'm sleepy, but I don't have, I just learn what haughty is. I don't, I'm not that kind of prideful. Gang, the truth about this is, is that pride creates blindness. Pride, listen, pride impairs my capacity to notice the danger of it to my soul. And, and this is why God can't stand pride. It impairs my capacity to really notice the danger to my soul. And it's why it's so dangerous. It's shifty. So here are a few questions. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're perked up a little bit and you're like, well, if it's that sneaky, maybe, maybe how do I know if it's in my life? So I'm going to ask a few questions uh, to see if it's lurking around, sneaking around. Maybe you're kind of wanting to know if, you, if it's snuck its way in. So here's a couple questions I want to ask. Is there a lack of harmony in your relationships? Like, I mean, can you see kind of like a pattern of unresolved issues in multiple relationships that you have? That's a sign that pride's in your life. Do you have a hard time celebrating other people's successes? I gotta tell you, some of us are gonna have an issue with that this evening after a certain basketball game takes place, correct? Like some of us are gonna have some issues celebrating other people's successes, right? That's a sign that pride is prevalent. That's probably why I'm going to bed early tonight, okay? How about this one? Are there a lack of truth tellers in your life? Because here's what happens. See, what happens is over time, they stop telling you the truth because you won't hear it. That's pride. Are you overly self-reliant? That there's not a problem with being self-reliant. Like self-reliant in and of itself is not a problem. But I tell you, you can be independent to a fault. Are you overly independent, self-reliant? And how about this one? Do you know what God wants you to do, but you do something else? That's pride, gang. That's you saying you know better than what you think God knows. That's pride. So see, 
see what I'm saying? Pride disguises it itself in all kinds of different ways. And it really is a problem. So I think what we need to realize is that pride in our lives is a little bit more prevalent than we might think. And so that's the first danger. And that's probably why God hates it so much to be in our lives. Here's the second danger. If you're taking notes, second one is pride keeps me from admitting that I need help. Flip your Bibles if you want to read with me to Hebrews 3. Hebrews 3. Let's take a look at this. Because as you're going there to Hebrews 3, i got to flip there too. Um, here's, here's what I think is a huge problem. Let me get there. See, it takes me time too. Okay, Hebrews 3. Here, here's what I think is one of the biggest problems and dangers to Christianity, to your faith and to my faith. Nobody's excluded from this. Everybody has some susceptibility to this happening. And I'm gonna tell you what it is. It's drift. We drift. And here's what I'm gonna just kind of throw out there for you. It's a big threat to our faith. We don't always naturally move to the things we know we should do. Has anyone noticed that? Like just left to ourselves, we don't just kind of drift to the good things. We actually kind of drift away. I don't know, maybe it's just me. We drift away from the things that God actually says that we should do. We all have the tendency to drift and we rarely, rarely gang drift to a better place. Look at what Hebrews says here in Hebrews 3. Let's see what it says in verse 12. It says, the writer says, take care brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. You catch what he's saying? So the writer here is saying, he's saying people turn or they fall away from doing what God wants them to do. And he's saying you and I, we need to pay attention. We need to, we need to pay attention because here's what, here's what he's saying. The gravitational pull of an unintentional heart is gonna more often than not lead us to the wrong places, not the right places. That gravitational pull, if we're not intentional, it's gonna take us to the place we don't wanna go rather than the place that we think we should be. We won't just drift into what's good. You catching me? So here's the great news. This is awesome. God knowing us so well, like he knew that that was our natural tendency. You see, he wired us to need each other then. Isn't that great? He said, well, you're gonna need help. You're gonna need people. You are never meant to go through this life alone. Like, listen, gang, you are never meant to actually go through your problems and your sin by yourself to hide it away from other people. We need each other. And so in verse 13, here's what he says. He continues, he says, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So listen to what he's saying. Finding your purpose and what you're supposed to be doing in the Lord, it actually comes from having people in your life who will help you gain God's wisdom. It comes from people in your life who share Christ with you, who pray with you, who you can share the good stuff and the bad stuff with. He wired us to need each other. You can't do life with God alone. We say that all the time around here. We say it ad nauseum because all you'll find in the Bible over and over again is that we have to help one another. But pride says, gang, listen, it says, I don't need anyone. And you say, well, you know what happens? We get stuck. And when you get stuck, here's what tends to happen. A lot of times when we get stuck, we tend to actually give in to temptations or we give up on things of God, both of which will lead to some really dark places. And I feel like I need to say this. Um, 
Because, I, I mean, of my experience as being a pastor, even seeing things in my own lives, uh, just walking through some things uh, with, with folks here. But some problems going on in your life. You, there are some of you right here, you've got problems going on. There are challenges in your life. There are marital problems. There are hurts. There are ha- habits. There are hang-ups going on in your, in your life. You cannot fix it on your own. Can I tell you that? You can't do it. Because let me, let me say something. If you could have, you would have. But you can't, so you won't. God wired you to do life with other people. You're only going to get well when you're honest with other people, not just God, but also other people. And there are some of you in a group right now. There are some of you who are in a group. You're in a community. You're in a circle. But gang, you're not sharing yourselves fully with other people. You're not really sharing the sins and problems going on in your life because pride says, I don't want to do that. Why would I do something like that? Why would I put myself out there like that? Pride keeps me from admitting I need help. That's the second reason why God does not like pride in our lives because he cares for us so much. Here's the third reason why God hates pride and it's so dangerous. Pride comes right before you fall. You don't have to open there real quick. Proverbs 16, 18, check out what this says. It says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit, there's haughty, we're learning, haughty spirit before a fall. God hates pride. God hates pride. And and it's because it's leading you by its base, by its design to destruction. That's why God doesn't like it. It's gonna crash your life. God cares for you so much that he just wants to get it out of your life. So listen, I wanna tell you something before we move on because we need to let this sink in. Pride is really evil. I mean, it, it is so evil. It hides away, it comes out and it takes away from God's plans and purposes in our lives. Now, I don't know where, I can't speak for everybody in this room, certainly can't speak for anybody in the you know, next service, but I don't know where you stand with evil, whether you believe evil exists or not. I'm gonna tell you where I stand. I believe evil exists. I, I believe it, I've seen it, I've seen things on my own that point to the fact that there is an evil in this world, and the Bible tells us that there is evil as well. I believe there is an enemy of truth. And the Bible says that there is a force. Not only is there evil, but there is a force behind it. It's the devil, it's Lucifer, it's, it's the wicked one. That's what he goes by. He goes by many names. But his motivation, gang, is to keep as much distance between you and God as he can. And to keep as much distance between you and healthy relationships as he possibly can. And so think about it. Like if you were the devil, I'm not saying you're the devil. If you were just to imagine, like if you, what would you do? How would you go about that? How would you go about keeping as much distance between, I know, I, I don't, I'm not saying you're the devil, okay? Um, but they were really scared. They're like, don't call me the devil. Um, I'm not. But what would you do? to create as much distance between me and God. I don't think it would be what you tend to think it would be like sending demons and plagues and stuff, right? Just think about it, because think about this. If you went home today, right, and you opened your refrigerator and it was the devil's portal and zombies and like blood stuff was shooting out, you would be back here so fast. Like you would be like memorizing Leviticus, you'd be cry praying to me, you'd be chugging communion juice and you know it, right? I mean, that's what would, the devil knows that. He's smarter than that. He's way better. He's been at this really long time. You know what he does? He uses the most subtle, sneaky ways to take things away from you and God that you don't even see it coming. He uses pride. One of the things that I think the enemy wants to do is he wants to keep us pride-filled, happy, and a little ignorant. That's what he wants to do. Because then what he can do is he can kind of isolate us away if we do that, and he's just gonna pick us off one by one. 
I believe that exists. I believe that's what's happening. So these are the dangers. That's why God is saying, hey, listen, I don't like it. It's, it's way more powerful and dangerous than you think. And he knows what it'll do to you. And he cares for you. That's why he's so opposed to it. That's, so now we got to figure something out, right? Like we got to figure it out. Because here's why I think we struggle so much with pride. And why we struggle a little bit with really understanding uh, the problem with pride. Because of, a, of another word that we attach to pride. And, and it's not such a bad thing. It's confidence. There, there's an issue. There's kind of a tension between pride and confidence because we think pr- we, confidence is a good thing. Like the Bible actually talks about confidence all over the place. I think that's something God wants us to have. So we know pride is sin. Like we know pride takes us away from things. It's a driving force. It's destructive and it's things that are not good. But here's the tension, the tension between pride and confidence. We need to get away from pride and we need to find some confidence. So how do we kill pride but still find confidence? And the answer is in a word that many of you would not associate with confidence, but I'm gonna spend the rest of the time talking about it because the answer is this, we kill pride with humility. Amen. James 4, 6 says this as you're writing that down, but he gives God, he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humility is the key to killing pride. And I think humility gets a bad rep. I really do. Like, I think humility, like we, when we think about the word humility, we think, you don't think about having confidence, do you? You think about kind of the doormat, you think about like, oh man, you don't really think about it. But here's what I wanna say, and I think it's a game changer for you to think about this for a second because it really does change. Pride and humility, if you think about it, they actually do have one thing in common. Did you know that? Pride and humility have one thing in common, and it's this, it's confidence. You see, both are products of confidence because here's, here's the point I wanna make. Pride is confidence in yourself. Humility is confidence in God. Are you catching that? You see, the Bible points to humility being the key to kill pride that destroys and at the same time, finding confidence in your life. Isn't that great? Isn't that cool to think about? So what's humility? What's humility? Let's define humility. I don't have it uh, up on the screens, but it, I was been reading a pastor lately and he defined humility this way and I thought it was really good. He said, humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. So that's So humility is rooted in two realities. You can, God's holiness and my sinfulness. So when we see how great God really is, see, then it makes us hyper aware of how much we fall short of being awesome ourselves. That's what humility does. This is how Paul saw it. So again, let's jump one more place to 2 Corinthians 12, if you wanna go there and follow along. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Now we just got done and I really think it might be important to just bring your Bibles and underline some things. We're going through a lot of places. So 2 Corinthians 12, but we just got done studying uh, Paul writing this letter to a church in Philippi, to the Philippians. This is a great letter we spent four weeks talking about. It was just encouragement after encouragement to go after God, go after Jesus, go after joy. And he was so confident, wasn't he? Now, now what we got to understand about Paul is he was the leader of the church. Like this guy had a ton of confidence in what he was doing, but over and over again, he would tell us where his confidence was coming from. In fact, he said, if anybody could put confidence in themselves, it was him. He said, whatever confidence you have in yourself, I've got more. 
But again, in Philippians 3, he said, if anyone could do it, it's me. But I'm going to tell you where my confidence comes from. It comes from Jesus. It comes from a relationship with a holy God through accepting and believing in Jesus Christ. That's where the power is. The power is in Christ. And he goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 12, hopefully you found your way there. Let's look in verse 9 because he says something else here, which is great. It says, but he said, that's God, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. God's power will work best when you will humble yourself and realize that you're weak. Then God's power, real power, takes over in your life. That's what Paul's saying. And gang, a lot of us right now, a lot of us Christians are still not convinced that God's power is better than our power. A lot of us are not, because we don't live that way. But, but let me tell you something, Paul is convinced of it. He goes on to say here in verse 13, he goes, therefore... I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Think about your life. I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Pride is confidence in yourself. Humility is confidence in God. See, gang, listen, humility isn't a lack of confidence at all. That's what I want us to catch today. In fact, it's the opposite. It's actually placing confidence in something greater than yourself. That's what humility is. And Paul says, that's what makes you great. That's what makes you a leader. And, and again, I want to just, I just want us to understand, Paul like wasn't some fluffy, like granola, passive, like, you know, give peace a chance kind of dude. Like he was a man's man. He was like a leader of leaders. He, he planted churches all over the place. Everybody looked to this guy for answers in their lives. Like this was Paul. Paul was like the head honcho. But time and time again, he points to and lives out the fact that humility is the key to being a great leader. That's all he talks about. That's all he does. And it's why Jesus said, if anyone humbles himself, then they will be exalted. And it's what Jesus used, gang, to get him to the cross. Did you know that? He used humility to kill pride and kill the power of sin. Our Savior did it as well with humility. Confidence comes from relying on God's strength, not your own strength. And it takes humility to actually do that. So here's the next question. How do we know if humility is working in our lives? Like how do we look and see and, and know like that we got that working out of our lives? So here's what I wanna do. I wanna go over four things really quick to, go, to, to be humble in. And we're gonna land on Romans chapter 12. So if you haven't opened your Bible at all today, this is a great place to open if you haven't. Romans chapter 12. We're gonna spend the rest of our time in there. And we're gonna look at four things that we can be humble in, that we can look at and see how this is working out in our own lives. And the first thing to be humble in, if you're taking notes, is my thought. My thought, here's what Romans 12, 3 says. If you're still getting, we're gonna be here for about five minutes. So you can get there in Romans 12. Here's what it says. It says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Okay, so humility in my thought means to not be thinking of myself too highly than I ought to. How do I get there? Like, what do I do? Well, Paul actually gives us some keys right here in this scripture, right? He gives us clues. He says, by the grace given to me, that's a clue, God's grace. And he also says, according to the measure of faith. He says, use your faith as your guide in your brain. Isn't that great? He says, use your faith. So here's the action. If you wanna write down, like, how do I, what do I do? Here's the action. It's a question. 
I want you to just think about where you'd be without Jesus. All right? Just where would you be without Jesus in your life? And so, some of you here today, I know like you don't have Jesus in your life yet, but why are you here? You know? Like you're here because you want to find answers. You're here because you're looking or hurting and you're wanting to know. So here's what I want to say. You're either here because you've seen God do great things in your life. And when you think about that, that will cause you to have confidence in him and be humble in your thought. Or you're here and you're ready for God to do amazing things in your life. So we think about where I'd be without Jesus in your life. And that will cause us to have confident humility in our thoughts. Here's the second thing to be humble in, and it's in my position. Let's keep reading here in verse four. It says, for as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And Paul, like he goes on here for a few verses, listing out all these great, amazing gifts that God gives believers in Christ. And he gives these gifts, he, he puts them on and in our lives and that we should be serving with these gifts in all kinds of areas, including the body of the church. Listen to what I wanna say. Identifying and faithfully using your spiritual gifts is an act of humility. Like knowing what God has given you, identifying that and then using that and like putting yourself in there, it's an act of humility, not pride. We need to humbly know that we have a place here on this earth. You have a place here at this church. You have a place in your community. You have a place at your work. You have a place in your neighborhood. So have you found your place? So have you found your place here? Have you found your place among people? Listen, are you understanding your gifts and are you using them to take care of the body? That's, that's actually an, an, a big, huge uh, reason for having humility in our lives. It's humble in our position. Third thing that we can be humble in is humble in our words. Verse 14, if you're still in Romans 12, it says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. There's haughty again, man. But associate with the lowly. Never be wise. See, you never thought you'd learn something at church, right? That's like, I know what haughty means. Sorry. Never be wise in your own sight. So what we communicate says so much. Your words, gang, matter. They really, really matter. A few years ago, I did a message on our words in the book of Proverbs, and, and I made a point that I want to bring back up because it really helped me understand, like, how do I be humble in my words? And here's what I said. It helped me again, and maybe it'll help you too. Here, here it is. I don't have it up there. Let your words be few. Let them be true. Let them be gentle, and let them be life-giving. So let them be few, let them be true, let them be gentle, and let them be life-giving. Our words are the primary indicator of humility ruling in our life. And don't miss the fact, it, back in Romans 12, don't miss the fact that it says to bless those who also persecute you. Don't, don't skip past that real fast because it's really easy to be, you know, humble in our words when somebody says, you're so great. And you're like, oh, thank you. You know, it's so easy to do that. But, but it also says, listen, even with people who attack you, who defame you, when people do that, words matter all the time, not just when it's actually convenient for us. So that's the third thing to be humble. What does it look like? What does that look like? Just, just a few things with our words. Maybe it looks like being the first to apologize, being humble in our words, even though it's not all the way your fault. Maybe you being the first to apologize. Maybe it looks like just encouraging someone just because, just because, just giving an encouraging word to somebody. Maybe it looks like saying thank you just because. 
Maybe it looks like giving credit to other people, even though, you know, we like taking the credit for things, but just like giving that away to other people. These, this is like really low-hanging fruit for us to actually be humble in our words. Last one is to be humble in our actions. Let's look at verse 17 and finish this out. It says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap coals on his head. You will burn his head. That's crazy. Uh, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay. Our actions back up what we should be saying. That's what this is. Our actions, if our words are an indicator of humility, then our actions are the proof that we're confidently humble in God. And I mean, listen, if you look at that list, that's the only way you can actually be doing that list is having humility. I mean, if you read that, because how easy is it to want vengeance? I mean, am I right? How easy is it to want to have payback to somebody who did something to me or somebody I love? That's worse when when you do something to somebody I love. But if we're humble, listen, that is to say, if we have confidence in God, then what that causes us to do in our actions is we believe God when he says, I got it. Don't you worry. Vengeance is mine. I'll take care of it. I'm handling it. That's what confident humility looks like because we believe and trust in the power of God and not ourselves. When we become, and then we become confident in our actions to always, gang, listen, always be good, no matter what and no matter what happens to us. And, and here's what I want to do. I really want to challenge you to go back and read Romans 12 in the light of these four things. Because if you look at this list, all right, and you think about when, when we originally think about humility and, and whether there's power in that or not, I want you to look at this list that Paul gives us here. Humble in our thoughts, humble in our position, humble in our words, humble in our actions. And I'm thinking humility doesn't look so passive now, does it? Humility doesn't look so weak after all, does it? And I wonder, I just wonder, what would it look like if we all walked in that kind of confidence? If we had that sort of confidence in God, what would your life look like? What would your relationships look like? What would this, what would this church look like? What would this community look like if we really had that kind of confidence in the living God? I think about that a lot in my life. I think we can get there. Do you? Man, I have confidence that we can get there. I think God is saying, you can get there. You can believe in my power. You can actually believe my power is better than your power. Believe it. And, and, then, and then humbly come in confidently into what I can do. We can get there. That's where he wants us to be. Listen, gang, that's where we all want to be. I believe it. Because the good news is this. This is great news. We can all grow in humility. Isn't that great? We can all grow in that and have confidence in God and not ourselves in that is where power lies. That is where true strength comes, having confidence in something better, bigger, and greater than ourselves. So let's pray together and ask God to help us find some areas that we need to have his confidence in. God, we love you. We thank you again, just not only for the message of Jesus that he came to kill the sin in our lives and make us right with you, but he also came to give us life and life to the full, that there are measures of things we can look at and put up against what you say living life with you looks like. And pride is one of those. 
that you say, man, there are things we can root out pride within our lives and that's coming confidently into humility in you. Thank you, God, that you call us to do that. I pray for, for believers in this room today that there are some areas in our lives. May we look at these four areas, confidence in our words and in our position, confidence in our actions. May there are some things that, that you could show us, God, that, that we're not really necessarily lining up with having a confidence in you that we're just relying too much on ourselves. Just for a minute, God, if you could just show us that right now. And help us see it so clearly because you hate it. You hate pride. You hate what it can do to us. And you sent Jesus not only to kill sin in our lives, but kill the power of pride that can take over our relationships, that destroy ourselves and our relationship with you. Help us, God. We love you. And we thank you again for Jesus. Can't wait to celebrate his coming back from the dead in a few weeks. But we celebrate it every, every Sunday here. And we thank you for him. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, gang, that's going to conclude our service. Don't forget to go into the Next Steps room. Encourage our missionaries today. They really need it. Support them. Sign up to pray for them. Don't miss going in there and picking up a newsletter for them. And we'll see you next week with another word that we're going to destroy together. All right? See you next time.